This weekend, special time to remember those that have given their lives for our country. So we have a little video, and I want to show that, and then have a word of prayer for our nation and for the families that have lost loved ones. Amen. So take your Bible, please. We're going to be in Acts chapter 2. And uh, we're going to, last week, Pastor Bill shared a really good message uh, for Pentecost Sunday, which was called The Blessed and Filling. I want to continue with that theme today. I've entitled my message Pentecost, simply Pentecost. Uh, so Acts chapter 2, I know we read it last week, but we're just going to read the first four verses Acts 2, 1 through 4. When the day of Pentecost had fully come, and they were all with one accord in one place, suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then there appeared to them divided tongues as of fire, and one set upon each of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. 
Let's pray. Father God, thank you for your word and thank you for the, the message of the cross and the message of Pentecost. I pray, Lord, your blessing over this message. I know you gave me a word to share. Let me do it properly. Um, may every heart be open to hear it and receive it. Lord, in the process, please be glorified in it. Let your church be edified in it. And Lord, I just want to take a minute and thank you for this little baby, Josie, being in church this morning. Bless this family in the name of Jesus. Thank you for Norman. Bless his life, his birthday, this year of his life in a special way. So Lord, may your word speak to us in a special way this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So Pentecost seems to be the hot topic these days. I know Pastor Wayne spoke about the Holy Spirit at the cafe this morning and uh, last week and now this week here. But I want to begin by telling you my story. Can I do that? Can I take a few minutes to tell you my story? Here's my story. Lenny Stadler was a former bass player for the rock band uh, Blackfoot. Um, He's a former colleague of mine, former band member of mine as well when I was in college. And he had a miraculous healing in his body. As a young man, his heart was healed of a serious problem. And this prompted major changes in his life. He made a deal with God. (laughs) He said, God, if you heal my heart, I'll quit the band. Because he was living a pretty wild and rambunctious, crazy, sinful life. But his grandfather was praying for him. And he said, God, if you heal me, I'll quit the band. He really didn't think God was going to heal him. But you know what? God healed him. Uh, He was in Duke University Hospital for surgery. And the day before, he went in to get prepped and all that. And as they were doing the the last uh, test, uh, preliminary testing for the next day, the problem wasn't there. The problem wasn't there. It had a hole in his heart or something. And they said, well, Lenny, uh, we don't see the problem, but we want to go in there and operate anyway. And Lenny said, you're not going to cut me open. I'm getting out of this hospital. I know that God healed me. And he packed up and left the hospital. And, and then he realized he had, he had made a deal with God, and he had to now quit the band. And, um, you know, the band was getting ready for national exposure. Record deal up in New York, a big deal. And uh, it took him a while, a couple of months, before he built up enough nerve to tell him, but he had to quit the band, and he did. A few years after all that, I came back into his life. Pamela and I were traveling, we were dating, and I wanted to show Pam where I used to go to school. And we went to North Carolina and we looked up Lenny. And it was there in, in Reedsville, North Carolina, that Lenny and Shanna, his new wife, led uh, me and Pamela to the Lord that day. So we received Jesus as our Savior on, at that day. Incidentally, it was Memorial Day weekend of 1977. So this is a special weekend for us. So Pamela had previously been reading, I'm sorry, had, had previously uh, visited a church in Rye, New York, the Rye Presbyterian Church, where Nikki Cruz was the speaker of Teen Challenge fame and, and so on. I also, during that, those years, was exposed to the gospel while I was in college, and then while I was out of college, different people tried to witness to me. But Lenny and, and Shanna led us to Jesus. We were saved that day. We came back home to New York right after that and told our families that we were Christians and we wanted to get married and we wanted to move back to North Carolina where I could go back to college. So that's what we did. And we, we went back there and started living for Jesus in, in, uh, in North Carolina. Uh, at that time, we were reading books. The Nikki Cruz books, Run Baby Run, uh, David Wilkerson, The Cross and the Switchblade, and books like that. 
And uh, we were getting familiar with this miraculous God that Lenny had told us about. I didn't know anyone other than Lenny where something like this happened. Now I'm reading about it in books. I'm saying, wow, this is very interesting. So we were brand new Christians. And uh, one day we were driving from our little house in the country to our college or vice versa. And I noticed on the, on the main road a, a college that was kind of like run down a little bit. But there was a little sign in the coll- on the property of the college that said, Greater Piedmont Teen Challenge. And I said to Pam, I said, Pam, I bet that's one of those places that we just read about in Nikki Cruz's book, Teen Challenge. I said, maybe you can go there and look for a job as a secretary. I was back in college. Pam was looking for a job. So she made arrangements to go there to ask for a job. And uh, there was no job openings there, but we became very friendly with the directors of the program, Jerry and Vicki McAnulty, and they took a, a keen interest in us. We were new Christians. We were from New York. We, we, we kind of stood out like a sore thumb in that environment. They were from Missouri and Florida. They were Southerners. We were Yankees and the whole deal. But we loved Jesus, and they, they, were, like, they were like mature, even though they were our age. So they, they encouraged us to go to a little Assembly of God church in Gibsonville, North Carolina. I said, yeah, whatever. We need to go to church. So we started going to this little Assembly of God church in Gibsonville. And for the very first time, I heard people preach the word of God. I was amazed that people actually preached like that. I, I saw people worshiping God with their hands like this, singing out of a hymn book, praises to God. I was so taken by the whole thing. I really was. I saw people have fellowship, they, they embraced us, they loved us, and um, we got grounded in the word there pretty good. Well, about a year later, uh, Jerry and Vicki uh, resigned that position at Teen Challenge and took a pastorate. They began pastoring in Reedsville, North Carolina, where we had accepted the Lord a, a year or two before, uh, in Lenny's mobile home, actually, but now Jerry was pastoring a church there. So we would, every Sunday, we'd make the 30-mile trip up to Reedsville to attend church. And so that's where we really got grounded in the things of God. Well, about two years after that, Jerry and Vicki sensed the calling to leave that church and go to another church in Rockingham, North Carolina. So at the same time, I was now finished with my studies, trying to find a job down in North Carolina. And lo and behold, the Lord led us to a job in, at Cameron Morrison Youth Center, which was just on the outskirts of Rockingham, where Jerry and Vicky were. So we made arrangements to move down there and start this new job in the, in the prison. It was a prison for youthful offenders, where I was hired by the state of North Carolina to be a counselor. So we were down there with Jerry and Vicky, and we got involved in this church, and we were growing in our faith. It was, everything was wonderful. Uh, Stacy was born da- down there in North Carolina. And we stayed there until Stacy was about two or three years old. And then we felt an unction to move back to New York to be with our families closer to our home environment. So the thing is, we were there in North Carolina for five years. We learned the word of God. We saw Pentecost in action with great sermons, great activities, great altar calls. I saw one Wednesday night service where a man in the congregation, it wasn't a big church, but after the teaching was done, a man came up, I'll never forget it, took a pistol out of his back pocket and put it on the altar and said, I'm done with this. I don't know what he was going to do, but, but there was just a Holy Ghost anointing, and I realized God was doing something. We saw people speaking in tongues. We saw people going, falling out in the Spirit. Uh, I was in a prayer line uh, at that church one time, and you know, I'm a new Christian, and the lady next to me, I'm in a prayer line, the lady next to me goes flat down, and I'm, I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah, did she die? And, and I, I, 
But I wasn't scared, but I, I knew something was going on. But, but anyway, I, I led worship there for a while. Pam was involved with ladies' ministries and kids' ministries. It was all good. But the point is, we never spoke in tongues that whole time. We never had this experience. We never had our own Pentecost. Although, one time, I did step out in faith and interpret someone who spoke in tongues during a Sunday morning service. I, I still don't know if that was right or wrong for me to do that, but at the time, I felt like, like I should. So anyway, we moved back to Rye, New York, where our families were. Started a secular job. Uh, Pam was raising the kids. Our family was growing. And about a year after we got back to New York, a friend of mine I went to high school with, Rich, uh, was married. He, he became an Assembly of God pastor, but he, he resigned from his church for some reason. But anyway, Rich and his wife, Nancy, had a gift. Their gift was, you ever hear this? Praying people into the baptism of the Holy Spirit. You ever hear that? It was like a term we don't use too much anymore, but that was their gifting. They would pray people into the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And he was my age. He was a young guy. And he, he wanted to come over. I said, Rich, come on over. I'm, I'm open. I, whatever. I don't, yeah, I, I want that. So one night he and Nancy came over to our home in, in Rye, New York. And um, our kids were in bed. And Pam and I were there. And they were talking. They were teaching us about the Holy Spirit. And then they said, why don't we pray that you receive the Holy Spirit? I said, fine. And, and they prayed. And, and Pamela received the baptism in the Holy Spirit that night. She began to speak in other tongues. I didn't. I didn't feel bad. I, I felt happy. I felt happy for Pam. But the next day when I got up to go to work, on my way to work in the car, I started speaking in tongues. It was most unusual. It wasn't like uh, I didn't pull over and almost have a wreck. It wasn't like that. It was a very gentle move of the Holy Spirit. But I, I did speak in tongues. And, and the point of, of all this is for five years, we benefited tremendously by being around the Pentecostal church. Where people were filled, people were, were you know, exercising the gifts of the Holy Spirit, and, um, and they were familiar with the workings of God. I remember one service in particular, uh, early on in our time down there, um, I think it was a Sunday morning, it could have been a Sunday night. We're just sitting there worshiping the Lord and doing what we do. This old man came out of nowhere and, and just, just came right to me, like on the front seat, and said, I, I just want to, with a southern accent, I can't do it, but I just want to tell you, God has his hand on you, and God has a special calling upon your life. I'm like a Christian for a year. And I'm thinking, who, I don't even know this guy. But I received it, you know, but that was the Holy Spirit working and moving. And so what I want to say to the church is we are a Pentecostal church. There are many here that are baptized and filled with the Holy Spirit. Many are not. But we all benefit from it. It's a win-win situation. It really is. As we allow the Holy Spirit, and Pastor Bill had a good message last week, we need to allow the Holy Spirit to continue to move and do what he wants to do. But we all benefit by being in a Pentecostal church. Now, I don't want to jump ahead, but there's something to me to think about. I didn't have this infilling until I got back to New York. Can I tell you something? I never wanted to go back to New York. I was literally done with New York. I did not want to go back home. Pamela wanted to. And guess what we did? We went back to New York. But I, I had my reasons. I had my reasons. I, I, I didn't do well. I, I, the whole thing. I didn't, want to, I didn't want to face stuff. But I knew I should, you know. It was like I was fighting myself and fighting the Holy Spirit. But I knew I could live my Christian life in North Carolina, 600 miles away. I knew my past. That was easy. 
And the Lord was challenging me. Can you do it back home? And I kept saying, no, I can't. But when I got home, I got baptized with the Holy Spirit, which made sense that now I had this infilling, so I could do, I could do it. I could do it with God's help. So it all makes sense to me now how the whole thing worked. So let's go into this a little bit. I want to clarify the lingo, because the lingo could be a little confusing. But in Acts 2.4, it says they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. That, that term, terminology, filled with the Holy Spirit, is what we're talking about. If you look over in your Bible, in Acts chapter 1, verse 5, Jesus said, John baptized with water, but, um, but I will be, I, you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So being baptized in the Holy Spirit is the same thing as being filled with the Holy Spirit. All right? If you look at uh, Acts 2, verse 38, when Peter was questioned after he preached that day, What shall we do? He said, what you need to do is repent, get saved, get water baptized, and get ready for the gift of the Holy Spirit. That's Acts 2.38. The gift of the Holy Spirit. So you have the infilling, the baptism, and the gift, all meaning the same thing. Then in Luke 24.49, you have Jesus speaking right before he ascended. He said, behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you. Wait in Jerusalem until you're endued with power from on high. So now we have another term uh, saying the, 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 um, the promise of the Father. Peter said this promise is for you and your children and those that come after them. So the promise of the Father is synonymous with the infilling or the, uh, or the um, Holy Spirit baptism. Acts 1.8 says, you shall receive power. So whenever you hear people talk about, have you gotten the power? Do you know the full gospel? What they're talking about is this second work of grace. This thing that happens after salvation. And this is very important to understand. Last week, someone asked me, do you, do you all believe that you have to speak in tongues in order to be saved? I took a double take. I said, no. No, we don't believe that. Now, there, are, there is a church that believes that. They're called the Oneness Church. They believe that you're not saved until you speak in tongues. We don't believe that at all. Salvation is one thing. The infilling of the Holy Spirit is another thing, although the Holy Spirit is at work in salvation. So turn with me quickly. Uh, John chapter 20. This is important to understand. In John chapter 20, uh, Jesus had risen Uh, And did not yet ascend. And he's speaking to his disciples. Verse 19. The door was closed. Jesus came through the door and appeared to the disciples there. In verse number 19, John 20. Jesus said, peace be with you. Verse 21, he says, peace be with you. Verse 22, he says, receive the Holy Spirit. Can I say, right there is when they got saved. They, they received the Holy Spirit. We know from John 3, you can't be born again without the Holy Spirit. Nicodemus and Jesus had that interaction. How does someone uh, gain eternal life? Well, they must be born again. Born of water, being born in the flesh, and born of spirit, meaning allowing the Holy Spirit to renew and, and save you. So in salvation, the Holy Spirit is definitely at work. John 3.16 says, Whosoever would believe would have eternal life. So whoever believes in Jesus, whoever whoever has faith in God, in Jesus, in His atonement, on the cross, His resurrection, His ascension, His promise of coming again, the Word of God, whoever believes all of that 
with, with the grace of God, experiences salvation. But that is a work of the Holy Spirit. That's why Paul tells us in Romans that our spirit bears witness with his spirit that we are children of God. Where we cry out, Abba, Father. Like those five years for me, there was no doubt I was saved. Oh my goodness, there was no doubt. Being saved is a, is a tremendously great, powerful, exhilarating, uplifting experience. I recommend it for everybody. Everybody needs to get saved. As in 2 Corinthians 5.17. If anyone is in Christ, they're a new creation. Because the Holy Spirit's working in you. But here, you, you, we can't get away from Acts 2.4. Here's Peter, John, Andrew, James, all the, the, the 11, or some people think maybe the whole 120 of them from Acts 1.14. They're in the upper room waiting, and they're all filled with the Holy Spirit. Well, they already received the Holy Spirit. So there's a difference between receiving the Holy Spirit and salvation and being filled with the Holy Spirit as in Pentecost. Luke 24, 49, uh, Jesus said, just to paraphrase, he said, go into all the world, preach this gospel, but don't go just yet. He wouldn't be commissioning people that didn't believe in him. He was commissioning believers, but don't go just yet until you receive the power, Acts 1, 8. And then you'll have this power to be my witnesses. So the, this baptism in the Holy Spirit is necessary to, to go deeper, farther, be more in tune with what, what God wants to do. For my life, man, I don't know if I would have survived being back home without the Holy Spirit working in me the way he was. I told you, I didn't want to go home. I was set, believe me, when I tell you. But I'm glad I did. I'm, and the Lord used Pamela to, <laughs> to twist my, not to twist my arm, but to convince me it was necessary. It, it really was absolutely necessary. But I was fighting it. So, all right, so I want to give you some examples now in the Word of God. Because it's not just my, our experience. But I, I do find it interesting. I mean, little did I know that my experience, my personal experience, lines up with the Scripture pretty well. I didn't know that at the time. I didn't know what to think. I really didn't. I just accepted it. But let's, let's go through a couple of passages, okay? So you can turn with me. Acts chapter 2. We're looking at verse number 4. So here's Peter. Now we already saw in John 20, Peter received the Holy Spirit. But now after Jesus ascended, you know the story. They're waiting for 10 days, right? Jesus ascended on the 40th day. So for, then on the 50th day, Pentecost, there's 10 days. So they're waiting in the upper room for 10 days waiting for this other thing to happen, and it happens. And he's, now he's filled with the Holy Spirit, but he already received the Holy Spirit. So it's like a second anointing of God upon his life, and he speaks in other tongues as the initial physical evidence of that. Now remember, Peter was the one who denied the Lord. He was always arguing, always kind of belligerent. Uh, in my vernacular, Peter had an attitude. You know, he had an attitude problem. And, uh, but the Lord loved him. The Lord accepted him, the Lord forgave him, uh, commissioned him, God bless you. Uh, the, Lord, the Lord had plans for Peter. And uh, so in, in Acts 2.14, now that he's filled, the one who was cowering in shame just a month before, or 40 days before, 35 days before, the one who was cowering in shame, crying his eyes out, because he said, I don't know the man, is now standing up, Preaching the word of God to all these people. That's not the normal Peter. 
That's the new Peter filled with the Holy Spirit. He was saved before. Absolutely. There's no doubt in my mind. He was saved. Now he's filled and he's preaching the word of God. He's preaching so well. In verse 37, just to go through the, the passage, the response was, what do we do now? And Peter says, what do you do? Verse 38, repent. Accept Jesus. Get baptized in water and get ready to receive this gift of the Holy Spirit. We know from verse 42 that 3,000 people got saved that day. Now, they weren't filled with the Holy Spirit, those 3,000 that we know of. But in verse 43, or verse 42, verse 41, there were 3,000. Verse 42, those 3,000 continued learning the things of the apostles. And I believe at that time, they were learning about the baptism in the Holy Spirit. So the first example is, is simply Peter saved, receiving the Holy Spirit, now waiting, praying. You, you could say in my life, in Pamela's life, we prayed and waited for five years. It could be 10 years. It could be 25 years. It doesn't matter. Everyone's different. For Peter, it was like a month, a month and a little bit. But now he's filled and now he's empowered to do this great work. And he certainly needed that to do what he did, as they all did. Let's go over to Acts chapter 8. The story of the Samaritans. I love these little stories in the Bible, by the way. You know, if you get into it, you can learn so much. You know, people say, why do you believe what you believe? You know, that's a man-made. I said, no, this is Bible. This is no man's opinion. We're just going through what the Bible says. And I believe strongly we're still living in the same dispensation as the book of Acts. Nothing has happened to disrupt that. We're still, the church then should be like, the, the church now should be like the church then. The next thing that's going to happen is the trump of God and he will descend and we'll go up and be with him. The rapture. But until then, we're living in that same dispensation. So the same principles that were then happening need to happen now. So anyway, Acts chapter 8. The Samaritans. Well, the Samaritan story is... Uh, is uh, connected to Philip's story. So in order to understand what happened to the Samaritans, we have to understand what happened to Philip. So go with me to Acts chapter 6 real quick. You know what happened in Acts chapter 6. There was a uh, disruption in the church. Some ladies were complaining. They weren't getting their fair share of the distribution. And the apostle said, we shouldn't deal with that. You guys, in verse number 3, seek out from among you. That, that's the first thing. So in, in the church... There's Christian people in the church, right? From among the people in the church, pick out seven people that, number one, have a good reputation. You know what that tells me? And tell me if this doesn't bear witness with you. There are some Christian people in churches that don't have a good reputation. And some do. So when you pick people for this job, make sure they have a good reputation. You get that? I know that to be true anyway. And secondly... Whoever you pick among you, make sure that they're full of the Holy Spirit. What do you mean full of the Holy Spirit? Baptized in the Holy Spirit. Why? Because they're going to be dealing with people, and people can drive you crazy. And make sure that they're filled with wisdom, because some people don't have wisdom. Some Christians don't have wisdom. So anyway, that's Philip's. So he was chosen with seven other people. They did a great work. So then persecution arises. 
And all the Christians are scattered all over the place. Philip, spirit-filled believer, goes to Samaria. In verse number 5 of chapter 8, he begins preaching Christ to them. In verses 6, 7, and 8, there's revival happening in Samaria. Verse 6 says, they heeded the things spoken by Philip. They listened, they took it in, they responded, they got saved. There was revival going on in Samaria. Verse 7 Unclean spirits crying out with a loud voice came out of many. Those who were paralyzed and lame were healed. In verse 8, there was great joy in the city of Samaria. Well, hallelujah, there's revival in Samaria. And Philip's a spirit-filled believer. He's, he's called by God. He's doing what God called him to do. All is well and good, right? It's all good. Verse 14 comes. Now, the apostles down in Jerusalem heard about what was going on in Samaria uh, they sent Peter and John to them, kind of like to check it out and make sure everything was copacetic. You know what I mean? Make sure they were doing things properly and everything was on the up and up. And when they came down there, they, they prayed for them, listen to this, that they might receive the Holy Spirit. Well, wait, we already said there's salvations, there's miracles, there's demons being cast out and all these wonderful, great joy. But he says... Uh, they, they wanted to go pray that they might receive the Holy Spirit. For as of yet, he had fallen upon none of them. They had only been baptized in the name of Jesus, not in the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I find this very interesting. So they laid hands on them, verse 17, and they received the Holy Spirit. So now you have a group of people that were saved, and now they're filled and just incidentally, just a little footnote to the story. Simon the sorcerer brings his two cents into the story. And he says, he sees what's going on. It says he saw that they were filled. And the question is, what did he see? Well, based on other scriptures, he probably saw them speaking in other tongues and praising God. That's what usually happens. He tries to buy the gift. He experiences Peter's wrath and the wrath of God upon him as well. You can't do that. It's a gift. You can't buy it. It's just obnoxious to think that you could buy something like that anyway. But here you have the Samaritans now with great revival, healings, deliverances, and now the baptism in the Holy Spirit. I think that's pretty awesome. Let's go to Acts chapter 9. Now we have the story of Paul. Most of us know the story of Paul, Pharisee, Jew, religious leader, passionate, zealous for the things of God as he understood them at the time. He's persecuting the church. He's sending people to jail. He's consenting to people's death by stoning. He, he's, just, he's just on a mission to destroy the church of Jesus Christ. On, his, on the road of Dam on Damascus Road, on his way to persecute the church. He encounters Jesus, if you look at it, verses 3, 4, 5 of Acts 9. And Jesus confronts him. Paul, why are you persecuting me? You know, why, why are you doing that to me? Anyway, in verse number 6, Paul, now, trembling and astonished, he turns to Jesus and he says, Lord, I believe at that point in verse number 6 is when Paul received Christ and got saved. He was convicted of his sin and got saved. What do you want me to do? Lord, I recognize you are Lord. What do you want me to do? And so Jesus tells him, go down and someone will help you, you know, deal with your life at this point. So he's saved in verse number 6. In verse number 17, Ananias was sent, another believer, to minister to, to Paul, to pray over him. They'll let, lay hands on him, pray that he would receive his sight, because he lost his sight when the, the, blind, the light came. He was blinded. 
and to, and, and in verse number 17, and to be filled with the Holy Spirit. So here you have Paul being saved in verse 6, being filled with the Holy Spirit in verse 17, and then in verse 18, after he's healed of the, the eyesight problem, he's baptized in water. I always thought the order was different, but who am I to say what the order should be? He was saved, filled, and then baptized in water. The same thing repeated in, with, uh, with uh, Cornelius. I always thought it would be saved, baptized, and then baptized in the Holy Spirit, but we can't say what it's, how it's supposed to be. But salvation has to be first. That much I know. Okay, so now, let's, let's go to Acts chapter 10 and talk about Cornelius. Cornelius, in verse number 2, he's not a Jew, he's not a Samaritan, he's a Roman soldier. Verse number 2, he's a good man. He's devout, he fears God, he gives alms to the poor, he prays to God, but he doesn't know God. Verse number 4, he has a vision. In the vision, an angel appears and, and, uh, and says, verse number 4, your prayers and your alms have come up for a memorial before God. I find it so interesting that God would respond to a person that didn't really know God. You know, he, he, he's just praying. He doesn't know how to, he doesn't know what to do. He's just praying, but God sees his heart and God responds to his heart. And he, he says in the vision, the angel says, God saw your prayers. God saw what you did. And he's going to tell you what to do now so that you can get saved. So send your servants over to Joppa, ask for a guy named Simon Peter, and he'll tell you what to do. So, you know the story. They go up there and they find Peter. Peter, in the meantime, has his dream about the foods were cleansed and the gospel is now good for the Gentiles. So he comes to their house. He's preaching the word of God, teaching them the things of God, which is a miraculous thing for Peter to do anyway as a Jewish man, now sitting in a Gentile's home. We went through this some time ago. Different culture, different customs, different food. But Peter realizes this gospel is for everybody, not just the Jews. So while he's teaching, in verse 44, while he's teaching, right, the Holy Spirit fell upon those who heard the word, and those of the circumcision, the Jews, who believed were astonished, as many that came with Peter, because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles also, for they heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. So this is what happened. They're sitting there in Cornelius' home. Peter's teaching, instructing them. While he's doing that, for a while, you know, for a, probably a, a while, they begin to believe what he's saying. As they believe in the Word of God, the Lord then baptizes them in the Holy Spirit, and they begin to speak in other tongues. And, and Peter and his Jewish friends that are believers in Jesus are amazed that these Gentile people are now speaking in tongues and receiving the Word just like they did some time ago. And so here you have another example of, of, of believing, then being filled, and then after that they were baptized in water. So now, we, now you have, if you're following the story, you have in Acts chapter 2, the Jews are saved and filled. Acts chapter 9, the Samaritans are saved and filled. And now the Gentiles in Acts 10 are saved and filled. Now one more example, uh, Acts 19. And Acts 19 is very interesting, because in order to understand Acts 19, we have to go back into Acts 18 for just a little bit. So Ephesus was a, a city very dear to Paul. He loved Ephesus. He loved the people there. He wrote a letter to them later, a very endearing letter. And um, 
So Paul had left in verse 24 of 18:24, a guy named Apollos came to minister to the people of Ephesus. And Apollos was from Alexandria in Egypt. He was eloquent. He was mighty in the scripture. And he came to Ephesus. And um, he'd been instructed in the way of the Lord. He was fervent in spirit. He spoke and taught accurately the things of the Lord. Although he knew only of the baptism of John. Flashing red lights. Hold it. What does that mean? So he's preaching and doing everything, but he's only preaching about the, which was a baptism of repentance, which is good. But Jesus said, baptize in my name, not in John's name. But but anyway, Priscilla and Aquila take him aside, the next verse, what is it, 26, and told him a more excellent way, or a deeper way, or gave him a better understanding of what, what was going on. So anyway, Apollos leaves there, goes to Achaia, and, and Paul comes to Ephesians, uh, Ephesus to kind of follow up. So that starts in chapter 19. So he goes to Ephesus. And the first thing he says in verse number 2 is, he says to the believers there, Have you received the Holy Spirit when you believed? It's a good question. There are many people today that don't even know about what I'm talking about. They don't, like if I said, have you received the whole, they, their, their response would be, yeah, I got saved. Well, these people were saved. They repented. They believed. And Paul says the first thing, have you received the Holy, and their response was, we don't even know what, what you're talking about, the Holy Spirit. Verse number two. He's, and in verse three, he said, what were you baptized into then? He said, we were baptized into John's baptism. And Paul says, well, John, John did preach a baptism of repentance, and that's good. But he also preached that you should turn to Jesus and believe in Jesus. So when they heard all this, Paul actually rebaptized them in the name of Jesus. It could have been a formality, but he wanted to make sure that they understood this was about Jesus, not about John. And so here you have Christian people with a little faulty doctrine. Now, now they got that straightened out. And the very next thing that happens is in verse number 6, guess what? Paul lays hands on them, prays over them that they would receive the Holy Spirit. And guess what? They speak in tongues and they prophesy. There's about 12 people there all together. So that church was birthed in, in, this, in this manner with a baptism in the Holy Spirit. And they did, they did uh, exciting things for the Lord in Ephesus. They... they uh, Paul had miracles with his handkerchief. They burned all their sorcery. They did all these, all these drastic things that they were inspired by the Holy Spirit. So what I'm saying is, if you're saved, hallelujah, we're on the right track. But I'm here to tell you, there's more to it. And I, I want to encourage everyone to seek this baptism in the Holy Spirit. Let me, let me go on here and finish up. So we have a couple of things to think about. I'm going to just take a few more minutes if I can. Pentecost. First of all, can we understand salvation is for everybody? God so loved the world. Everybody is a candidate for salvation. Even people that we may not necessarily like or feel particularly attracted to. Our enemies. (laughs) Everyone is a candidate for salvation. Salvation is... Definitely a work of the Holy Spirit. Please understand me. You cannot be saved without the Holy Spirit. John 3, you must be born again. It's not your intellect. It's a spiritual thing. When Pam and I got saved, 
No one had to tell me the Holy All I knew was something happened to me that night in Lenny's trailer. I was, I was, I was like enlightened or something. Something happened to me. I remember going to sleep that night thinking, man, I feel different. I feel like my eyes are open. Something's different about us. And we were saved. That's the Holy Spirit. I can tell you, the Holy Spirit was in my life at salvation. No doubt about it. And, and uh, you know, once you're saved, you're in a position for tremendous things happening in your life. You're in the right position for everything that God has for you. You know, so I want to encourage you. Cherish your salvation. Cherish it. Paul said, this is a gift that you have. Take care of your salvation. Nurture it. Feed it. Protect it. It's, it's valuable to you. But... Baptism in the Holy Spirit occurs after that. So if you think that is so great, and it is, think of how this baptism in the Holy Spirit is. On top of that, Acts 2, Acts 9, Acts 10, Acts 8, Acts 19, which we just went through. See, we can't read those examples and say, oh, well, that was then. Well, what changed? What changed between then and now? Nothing's changed. The next thing I told you, the next thing that we're going to hear is the trumpet. We're still living in this dispensation of God's grace. The baptism in the Holy Spirit is still for today. Absolutely, still for today. Acts 2, 38 and 39. What do we do? What do you do? Repent, get saved, get baptized in water, and get ready to receive the gift. Because this gift, this promise is for you and your children and those that come after them. And all that the Lord will call is for everybody. You read it, Acts 2.39. It's for us, it's for our kids, it's for the next generation until Jesus comes back. Hallelujah. And here's number, the last thing I wanted to say here is that the spiritual gifts. Now this morning we had a tongue interpretation. Now those are spiritual gifts. The spiritual gifts that we read about in 1 Corinthians 12, 13 and 14 are the byproduct of the baptism in the Holy Spirit. In other words, someone cannot exercise those spiritual gifts, which is not just tongues and interpretation. It's healing, it's wisdom, it's prophecy, different miracles and so forth. Um, But you can't do that until you receive the baptism in the Holy Spirit. Here, Here are the nine gifts of the Spirit. Word of wisdom, word of knowledge, faith, healing, miracles, prophecy, discerning of spirits, different kinds of tongues and interpretation of tongues. So just to clarify, when you receive your prayer language, when you're baptized in the Holy Spirit as a second work of grace, you speak in tongues. That is not to be interpreted by anybody. That's your prayer language. That's between you and God. However, if you're being used in the gifts of the Holy Spirit during a worship service and you speak in tongues out loud, guess what? That has to be interpreted for the benefit of the congregation. Otherwise, what is it? So there's a distinction between the use of the tongues. So the baptism in the Holy Spirit is personal. The gifts of the Holy Spirit like that are for the, or for the public or for the church. So I'm going to wrap this up with these three statements. How to receive this gift. Good question, correct? I dealt with that for five years. And I had a friend down there, his name was Tommy. 
Tommy said, I always felt bad for you, Rick, because you never spoke in tongues or had the Holy Spirit. I said, Tommy, don't, don't feel bad. Right? I never felt bad. I felt good, actually. I felt good being around everyone that did. I, I, felt, I felt I was in the right place. I felt good. But how do you receive this gift? The first thing is, I would say to you is to ask God for the gift. Ask God. Go to the source. If I could do it for you, I would do it. Believe me. I don't have that authority. No way. No one does. God has that authority. Luke 11, 11 to 13. If a son asked a father for bread, would he give him a stone? Or if he asked for a fish, would he give him a serpent? Or if he asked for an egg, would he give him a scorpion? You then, being evil, if you know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? So, ask. I asked it for five years. Asked him for five years. And I still ask him for the Holy Spirit, actually. So ask God. Number two is, ask for prayer. Acts 114, those in the upper room, 120 people in the upper room. In one accord, praying together. Praying for one another. Praying for God to move. Just praying. Have some people close to you. You know, remember me in prayer to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. When we open up the prayer lines again, which we want to do sometime in June, have, have the, the prayer team pray, laying hands on you to receive the Holy Spirit. You know, have people pray for you. And thirdly, the laying out of hands is important because we see it as a biblical uh, pattern. Uh, Ananias laid hands on Paul in Acts 9, and he was healed and received the baptism. And Paul then laid hands on the, the Ephesians. There were 12 of them, and they were filled with the Holy Spirit too. So there's something about the laying on of hands that is biblical. So, Pentecost. I just gave you the whole lock, stock, and barrel of what Pentecost is. And um, there, are, there are millions of people that practice what I just preached. Millions of people. You ever notice the Pentecostal church, not just the Assembly of God, but the Pentecostal church is on the forefront of missions. You know what? Because the Pentecostals have this power to be a witness for God. And they're Jerusalem, like our downtown Haverhill, where we have a presence there, our Judea, our Samaria, the outermost parts, Pentecostals have, a, have an anointing of God to take this message and bring it forward. And I always say this, when, when, I, when my friend uh, Jerry said, you, you and Pam, you, you need to go to the Assembly of God Church down in Gibsonville. I'd never heard of Assembly of God Church. Never heard of it. Well, we went. And I realized this church was a small church, believe me, maybe 30, 40 people. This church was so solid. They were, they were right on. Looking back on it, they, they were right on. I had nothing to do with me going there. I just said, yeah, I'll go. God used my friend to direct. I'm so glad he did. I'm so glad that when we got saved, we got involved in a Pentecostal church. Even though I wasn't Pentecostal for five years. I was, but I wasn't, you know. We benefited. I needed that fire. I needed that anointing. I needed that presence of God on my life. So God had me. And if you're here, God has you too. And welcome back, you too. God has you here for a reason today. God has all of us here for a reason, you know. 
And, and you may not speak in tongues. You may not understand the whole deal. Hang in there. Just hang in there. It'll all happen when it's supposed to happen. In the meantime, we'll enjoy the presence of God. Can we stand together? I want to, I know there's a scripture up there I want to read in just a minute, but every head bowed for just a minute. I want to go through this. I want to go through this because this is biblical. Number one, is there anybody here that needs salvation? You know, we got to start at the beginning. Salvation. You want to surrender your life to God. You want to give up, you want to give up your rights to do whatever you want to do and give those rights to Jesus because you recognize you're not living right. You're not doing right. You may have accepted the Lord before, but you're not living right now. Now is the day. Today is the day of salvation. So number one, before we go any farther, is there anybody here that needs to be saved? Really saved? Yeah. All right. Thank you. You too. Praise God. Anybody else? I need salvation. If I die tonight, I don't know if I go to heaven or hell. I need salvation today. Thank you, sir. Thank you. Anybody else? Okay, we're going to pray for that in just a few minutes. Secondly, biblically, what happens is you get baptized in water. So we're going to have a baptism sometime in June, probably the end of June. I wonder if there's anyone here that needs to be baptized in water. Raise your hand if you do. You know? All right. So we'll, we'll make some announcements. That's an important aspect of your faith. Number three is... Is anyone, does anyone want and desire and see it in the Word of God, this second work of grace, this infilling of the Holy Spirit, this baptism of power? You see it? How many want to receive that? Yeah? All right, good. I, you know, good, good, good. How many, I wonder how many have received it and have now neglected it and need a, you need a fresh infilling? That's in there too. That's in the Bible too. The apostles were filled again and again. Okay, so let's pray. Father, Lord God, first of all, as they did in the upper room that day, they were in one accord. We are in one accord today. Lord, we recognize we're all sinners, every one of us. No one's better than anybody. We're all sinners. But we all need salvation. And right now we all turn to you for salvation. Lord, those whose hands went up, thank you for that. Maybe there's some others, but we turn to you for salvation. We admit we're sinners. We confess our sins to you. We, we come clean before you, Lord. We, we, we're telling you we know we're wrong. We know we're sinners. We believe in you, Jesus, that you died on the cross for our sins, that you rose from the dead on the third day, that you ascended to heaven 40 days later with a promise to come back again. We believe in all of that. We believe in you, Lord. So we're going to ask you, Lord, come into our hearts today and establish your kingdom by a work of your spirit, Lord. Let us be born again, maybe refreshed in your presence right now as we pray, as we confess you as our personal Lord and Savior. Lord, secondly, we agree with the scriptures that say after we're saved, we need to get baptized in water. Lord, maybe there's a few that need to get rebaptized in water. That would be okay. Start all over again if necessary. We pray, Lord, when we have this in June, that many will be obedient to what the scriptures say and be baptized in water. And Lord, for those that expressed a desire to now be filled with the Holy Spirit, baptized in the Holy Spirit, have power of the Holy Spirit. 
apart from salvation. We pray, Lord, that that very thing would happen in your timing and in your way and uh, at the right time, at the right time and place. We pray, Lord, that this message would change lives in the fact that we would all be in one accord recognizing in the Word of God there's a whole other dimension that perhaps we've neglected. So, Lord, help us to live in your Spirit and to be filled with your Spirit, to be baptized in your Spirit. And, Lord, also, we pray for anyone that has been saved and water baptized and filled with the Holy Spirit that has neglected these gifts. We pray, Lord, and we all want to come back to you right now and say, Lord God, as you refilled the apostles in Acts 2 and then in Acts 4, you refilled them. Refill us, Lord, with your Holy Spirit. In fact, Lord, refill us every single day with your Holy Spirit. We need a fresh anointing every single day for the tasks that lie ahead that we don't even know about. So we look to you for your anointing every day, this infilling of your Holy Spirit every single day. So thank you, Lord, for this. We give you praise and give you glory for how you do things. It's different than how we think, but it's good and we recognize it. So thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Let's read this scripture if we can. But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria to the outermost parts of the world. Let's read it one more time. You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Acts 1.8. Acts 1.8. Well, praise the Lord. Let me pray one more prayer over you, and then we'll leave here. So, uh, wait a minute. So we're going to cancel the picnic, right? Those of you at home, next week, Lord willing, next week. (laughs) All right. Father, thank you, Lord. Lord, on this day, this Memorial Day weekend, Lord, Pamela and I have, have great memories of Memorial Day. It's when we got saved. Lord, it's wonderful for us. I pray, Lord, that everyone would have a special memory on Memorial Day. Um, just a personal spiritual blessing today for the congregation. Lord, as, as now we here in Massachusetts uh, have opened up our churches to full capacity and uh, we have, we're not mandated to do anything anymore. We pray, Lord, that in the weeks ahead, as June begins next Sunday, as summer begins, Lord God, that every seat in this place will be filled up. We're not worried about 50% anymore. We got 100% capacity. Lord God, let every seat be filled up. Morning at 9 o'clock and 1045. Lord God, move upon this community. Release your spirit, O God, and draw people into the houses of God that proclaim the word of God. And we pray that we would see revival, just like in Samaria. We would see revival happen in Haverhill, Mass, and in this church in particular, Lord, we would see a special move of your spirit in the weeks ahead. We look forward to it, Lord. And we thank you for it. Hallelujah. We pray it all in the wonderful name of Jesus Christ. Amen. And amen. Hallelujah.